If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, we explore the intersection between vertical farming and real estate and how this new industry is disrupting traditional farming and what types of locations are needed as farms get closer to home. Our guest is Aaron Damis co-founder of Sprout Organic Farms, a vertical farming company based in Rhode Island. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this business. So uh, I would have to say that my life's been a bit of a a wavy, winding road type thing, but um, I ended up getting into farming uh, kind of haphazardly, to be honest. Um, I have a background in music and philosophy and a bunch of other various uh, uh, subjects. And in, um, in a class or two that I took as, uh, as an elective, I took some, uh, uh, some classes on social justice and um, food deserts. You know, the focus was um, on, uh, on urban needs for, for food and, and farming and what's going on in the world and how things are changing uh, in the next coming decades. And uh, I started to be con- a little bit concerned and trying to uh, uh, figure out, you know, what could I do to make a little difference in my life? Generally at that time, that just meant to uh, uh, go to the store and pr- make better purchasing, whatever. And um, a little further down the road, I was sitting in a bar next to a, a mutual friend who is a farmer. And we started a discussion about, um, about food and farming and also, you know, uh, what the market was like in those businesses. And we just kind of came upon this, uh, this idea of giving it a go at uh, the urban agriculture space. And that's really kind of how the idea was born. And I sat on it for about a year and tried to, um, yeah, carve out a little bit of, uh, of space for myself and this idea and get, get going on it. So Aaron, explain to our listeners, what exactly is vertical farming? So in conventional farming, it's, uh, we, we say it's two dimensional, right? So you farm um, just on the land uh, in order to make things uh, really work. Uh, you need a lot of land for that. Uh, and so uh, vertical farmers are trying to um, reconcile the problems of space and uh, production and efficiency by growing upwards, vertically, if you will. So instead of growing in the two-dimensional space, we grow in a three-dimensional space. 
And so um, we grow uh, both on these kind of horizontal planes, but then we stack those planes generally using racks or other uh, tools like that in order to uh, make the farm have you know, multiple horizontal planes upwards. So if you can imagine, instead of a large field, you might be in a warehouse with several tiers, like seven floors, if you will, of, of farming space. Now, I saw a picture and the lettuce was growing up the side of a wall, like it was growing out as in, instead of up from the ground. How do you exact, how do you do that? Yeah. So, you know, that's interesting that you mentioned that because I was just um, making the example of several floors of horizontal space, but you're exactly right. You can do this also uh, vertically in not just the sense of growing, um, you know, having tiers upwards, but you can, you can make the plants rows that drop or, or raise up from the ground. And really you do it by using kind of a, a, a substrate. So actually you, you would imagine that soil will not be able to kind of like be attached to a wall. So if you use um, <clears throat> different types of, of materials, some of them can be inorganic and or organic, but kind of a mat and you just kind of like cut it in a long vertical uh, uh, or a long, a long row, if you will, and you hang it up and uh, then you run water down uh, that substrate and you plant into it. So you can do things where you could turn an entire wall or a column. I think the, uh, the Hilton in uh, one of the Hiltons in uh, Orlando has uh, a, a small vertical farm in their lobby where they've got like kind of columns and they just kind of drape these substrates from the from the ceilings. And it looks like, uh, yeah, like you've got lettuce growing out of the columns. So one billion dollar question, because <laughs> it's now <laughs> a huge uh, industry now. Uh, my question is, why? <laughs> so what's so important and why are we doing this? Why is vertical farming a thing? A billion dollar question with a billion answers. I think. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there are so many reasons. Um, so I guess the most obvious or maybe not the most obvious, but by 2050, I think we're going to be at like 10 billion people, um, something close to that. And we're just running out of space. I mean, that pure and simple, I mean, I think that's the first issue is um, how do you make space to grow all the food that will need to feed the world? Um, if you think about those numbers, we would have to grow, I think, more food than the world has ever grown uh, at that point just to feed, you know, the, like the existing population. It's, it's something absurd like that in terms of the numbers. Um, so growing vertically is uh, a necessity. Um, we won't have the ability to, to, to have large swaths of land if you add in climate change like that then you're gonna have a, a lot of issues in terms of we have multiple storms and you're gonna have uh, places with climates that are gonna to be too arid. Um, you know, that that's another big issue. Then you've got um, uh, the waste issue, uh, both in terms of carbon waste and, and, and in the sense of how you distribute the food as well as, you know, how much product is wasted in the trip itself. So if I am a farm in a city, I don't need uh, a five distribution centers, you know, uh, uh, however many trucks and um, how, however long it takes the food to get uh, to me from the farm, um, where the number is really actually between 30 and 
uh, of food that's wasted, which is incredible. You think of all the food that's, that, that they grow in the world, right? 30 to 50% is wasted, um, thrown away before it gets to the end user's plate. Uh, and most of that is, you know, uh, as a consequence of, of the, the difficulty of, of, of bringing the food from its source to you. So like um, it either spoils in the way, it spoils at the grocery store, it spoils in your fridge. Um, and then on top of that, all of that, you know, uh, until uh, Elon's uh, got his trucks running automated uh, <laughs> routes across the country. I mean, you're talking about um, fossil fuel issues there. Uh, you, you know, and then obviously within the farm itself, you know, there are, there are energy expenditures, but that there's a bit of a balance there, with the new tech, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, all those things have, have very serious costs. So, so that's very interesting, right? And you mentioned some of the benefits, which obviously, as you outlined, resources, uh, space, uh, and logistics, but... Yeah. Also, it, the stuff tastes better, right? I mean, I'm assuming that things that come out of vertical farming or vertical farms are relatively smaller, like flat leaf lettuce. I mean, you can sort of expand on that, but there's there's a quality benefit too, I would assume, um, when it comes to the, these products that are now in a controlled environment at the same time, I, I would assume the costs are a little bit different because of the the proximity to the end user, that the logistics price and all those things that are included in transportation and all of that are, are quite less. Can you just quickly explain on that? Sure. I mean, I think flavor is a bit of a can of worms. I'm on the, uh, you know, uh, I, literally. I have several. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have, Hopefully not often. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it's, it's either the worms or in the urban ag sphere, sometimes it's, it's a bunch of fish uh, in a tank, but um uh, you know, people people will have have their 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 feelings on that one way or the other. But I feel like indoor indoor farming, controlled environment farming, you know, can offer a lot of really cool uh, ways to control the flavor of things. You know, uh, there are really fascinating studies where you know you can um, you can use light pulsing to um, influence the amount of minerals and, and, and nutrient content that ends up in the food. And obviously that has a, has a, a big um, effect on the taste, you know, on the flavor. Um, so, but a lot of people also really dig the whole, like, I like the, the flavor of the soil. And I mean, if you drank wine or if you had honey, you know, the, uh, there is something very special about the way that a food tastes as it comes from its, wherever the, the you know, uh, it's, it's home is um, in terms of cost. That, my friend, is is, a, is a, a massive topic, of course, you know, and there's there's some positives and negatives. I mean, I think the easiest way for, for the layperson to think of this, though, is that um, on the on the positive, you know, you can be much, much, much more efficient uh, in, in an urban uh, in an urban farm, in an indoor farm. Uh, so we're using a lot less water, uh, you know. Um, we're using less soil or other things. There's no pesticides whatsoever. Uh, we don't need fertilizer in the same way. You know, so we're saving on a lot and distribution, obviously, right? But there, there's an, the offset, the trade-off there at this point is still in energy and energy use and energy production where, where lights are concerned. So if you don't have the sun, then uh, you've got to sub for something, right? Got to substitute out and you know, in my farm, we use LEDs. We have custom-made LEDs. They're super, super efficient. But you know, the tech is still early. And again, if you, you know, if you're thinking of something like a Tesla, 
uh, early disruptors in the green, uh, other green sectors. Um, everyone knows and balked at, you know, the cost of, of green. And that was a big issue at fr first. It's still a big issue, but people are realizing that like, yeah, it's just like anything else. I mean, how, what did your iPhone do uh, that first year? Uh, or uh, not to date myself too much, but the first laptop that I had uh, when I, when I moved to Boston had four gigs of a hard, uh, on the hard drive, which is just like absurd. I mean, the next year it was like 16 gigs. So, Aaron, uh, looking at your website, you talk about growing, uh, growing uh, microgreens in shipping containers. And uh, sure. I'd love to get your, your thoughts later on on, 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 on on how much more nutritious these microgreens are. I, I read somewhere six times the vitamin C in a microgreen of red cabbage versus a regular red cabbage. But um, thinking from the real estate point of view, you have these shipping containers where are you placing them? What's the advantage to placing them someplace close to the city? And and how are you dealing with the owner of that real estate? And what is the benefit to the owner of that real estate to having that shipping container out back instead of a parking garage or instead of expanding their business to, to something else? How, how does that all come together? Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, so for me, my, my farm does specialize in microgreens, but you can grow and we do edible flowers and stuff like that too. Uh, uh, but you can grow a wide swath of things, right? And I'll just mention really quickly here, maybe for, for later, we can get into more, but there is a trade-off also in terms of what you grow in, in urban farms, right? Urban farms are never going to wipe away conventional farming. It should just be seen as like a really helpful tool. So like uh, we do have to, fo it's harder to have, 50 varietals of lettuce and, and root vegetables and strawberries and tomatoes in a single farm. Um, so you tend to have farms that grow like five, six things um, max. Now in terms of the shipping containers, um, we actually don't have to use shipping containers. You can be, all I need is four walls uh, and the roof is optional uh, and, and many, you know, it can be glass or it can be uh, just a closed in. So, if you're looking from the real estate perspective, um, there are a couple of really cool things we can do. Like the, the focus should be on, on maximizing unused space, right? Um, so if you're putting up a condo and you know you're gonna have, let's, I mean, we can go luxury or we can go uh, subsidized housing on this. It, do, it doesn't really make a difference. If you're putting up a giant building, um, why not add, add an extra basement, um, some extra basement space? Uh, and I can throw a farm in that basement. If you've got um, a project going and you've got a, uh, um, uh, a subtract or something like that out, out, outside of it, and you know that it's, I can't zone it right to get more um, space for, for, you know, so more, more like dwelling space, if you will. I don't know how to better phrase that at this exact moment. Um, why not put something else there and utilize that space better? Right. So if you've got extra roof space, that's another place that you can do it. So if, if you're thinking about it, like uh, the shipping containers are a great option. There's a, um, a Massachusetts uh, firm here, I think, that really kind of uh, started make that made that that whole thing huge. Um, and I think they're called freight farms. So if you do that kind of thing, that's a great thing about a shipping container. You can just drop it anywhere. You know, it's a fully contained unit. They generally come turnkey. Um, there's some, there's some disadvantages there a little bit, but, uh, 
but that's a great, you know, anywhere kind of thing. But if you're thinking about like, I'm going to do this development or that development, or I want to maximize the community space here, um, you don't have to think about just one configuration. Uh, this can be in anywhere uh, that's indoors, or if you have the ability to do it, put it on the roof, throw some glass over top, and then you end up with the Gotham Greens model. So I, I, I love that. First of all, Gotham Greens, uh, that's another unicorn, apparently. I've been reading a lot about that. Pretty interesting yeah. stuff. Um, and I, I, well, you, you can be. Because um, right. this podcast is, is, uh, is, is how, you, how you'll make it to the big times. Uh, anyway, so there is a whole, um, uh, in history, humans have always found their way closer to the source of food. Well, that's the water, the uh, um, building farms, you name it. Today, and that's this is over the course of history. Today, in places like New York, there are still you still want to live next to a grocery store or a bodega. It, periodically, every other street corner, there's a guy or a gal with a with a fruit cart <laughs> at the corner. Um, but there's also this thing where you've got farmers markets in certain cities where. Um, farmers bring fresh produce to the people. And, and usually those farmers markets are in uh, open spaces like parking lots and these kinds of things, right? So we've always seen that happening. And are you, which, which, which tells me that there's a, a demand for it, for fresh produce. Do you see that changing? Do you see that increasing? Do you see the the emergence of vertical farming um, doubling down on humans' need to get food from the source faster? Right. I mean, the need is there. Uh, I think almost maybe the need probably trumps, honestly, the demand. Uh, if you take a look at the way that the, just the kind of, uh, the body, uh, the, the health rather of, of the body public here, like in, a, in the States or in Canada, um, you can see that, that, that the demand is, is, um, is still a little wanting for fresh food. I mean, and that there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but uh, farmer's markets are, are something that are really, really important, but the, the, the need for having fresh food is like, immense i mean in terms you think about like what we what we pay for for uh to offset health health issues uh, diabetes cholesterol blah, blah blah the need in that truest sense of the word is there getting people to realize that is a is a much harder thing and then creating the economic uh environment so that that can become a reality for most people is also a different thing most people also just think about food in the very in the wrong way like if, if i go to the, the store and uh like if the, the normal person goes to the store and they see a steak for uh, you know twenty bucks a pound, you're gonna be like, Jesus, twenty bucks a pound? I mean, it's a, it's better be a porterhouse. I mean, one step up, I'm getting wagyu. You know, why is this so expensive? I can go to Wendy's and get a, a burger for a dollar, right? The Wag, wagyu meets Wendy's. I love it. Right, and it's and so, you get a square one too. <laughs> that's right. Now the 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 question is is needs to be turned on its head though. It's not about like, why is this food so expensive uh, if I go to the farmer's market or if I'm paying, you know, for, for this premium item? The, the question should be, how does a steak cost a dollar? Like, how can I get a burger for a dollar? Like, how, how is that possible? How can I go and get vegetables or a salad 
and uh, um, and stuff like that, even when it's even more expensive than than it should be uh, relative to the need of the people and the health of the community. Uh, but like, how is it so cheap? Um, and that therein lies the problem, really, because like a, a big ag. I can't, I don't want to poop all over like, you know, the solutions of, of big agriculture because, you know, there are problems that need to be solved. Like how do you feed 350 million people uh, in the States, right? That would just be you composting over big ag. That's right. That's right. I like it. There's a man thinking of solutions. And you've got a good point. If you look at agriculture in this country, 2% of the farmers that we had 100 years ago are producing twice the food that we used to produce. So it's true that farms have become extremely efficient and therefore have lowered the cost dramatically. But when I think of something like uh, vertical farming, I, it reminds me a bit, and I could be completely wrong, about when organic food came out. And I don't want to name what we everyone probably would consider the number one gross of organic food, <coughs> whole foods, but, yeah. um, but a lot of people <laughs> consider that very expensive. And it's more of an elite uh, ability to eat organically and healthily that, that the layman person doesn't have the ability for economic reasons to do. How does vertical farming fit into that and where in the economic scale is that going? Right. So, man, there are so many good things here. So, I mean, like, so we were just talking about how, um, you know, the need for, for, for good quality food, you know, is definitely there. The demand isn't that isn't there, let's, let's say, but like, when you think about, um, the, the accessibility of high quality food and whether it's a necessity, right? So, um, the one serving of vegetables, let's just put it this way. It's, this is like some crazy, I can't remember the study. I wish I had it on hand. One serving of vegetables like per month lowers your all cause mortality by like 80% or something stupid like that. Uh, it's, it's completely absurd how beneficial it is for somebody to have a, even a single serving of fresh vegetables a month, you know, let alone like every day. And, um, here's a, another crazy thing, like 98% of the spinach is that that's grown in the United States. I think it's grown in California. So like, and I, I throw that out as kind of a rando, but, um, it takes a long time to get vegetables to a person and the quality diminishes every second that produce is cut. Um, so, you know, when you're talking about like, yes, big ag is doing a great job getting food to people for cheap, but where's the quality of that food? And, you know, does everybody need to be at, at Whole Foods or, you know, hole in your pocket uh, because it's so expensive in order to do well? Um, you know, the answer is no, not really, but we got to figure something out. Like you have to figure out a way to get high quality food. Does it have to be organic? It doesn't necessarily have to be organic, but there are a lot of benefits to that. And it's not necessarily because GMO seeds are going to kill you. It's, um, uh, it's because uh, fertilizers and pesticides in the ground are are bad for you. They're bad for people that, uh, who live in the surrounding area. They're bad for the ground, and, and they're often bad for businesses, uh, farming businesses. So, you know, we've we've been in this place before, right? The industrialized world has been in a situation where we needed to mass produce large quantities of food at one point, right? So we went to this point where canned tuna, canned spam, we, we, you know, all kinds of things that were a problem uh, now that we've recognized, but they were an industrialized innovation 
uh, food innovation or food tech at one point, right? And now we've got the situation where we've got to figure out a way of being able to get more food to more people, pesticides, yada, you name it. But there's going to be, it seems like as we're talking, there's a new trend towards how do you create um, more food um, closer to home, if you will, for more people um, to solve this this crisis, food crisis that we're going to be seeing in the future. But I think, you know, when you, when you start looking at things like space, and I love your, uh, your ideas about how to utilize basements and uh, residential properties, but then I also look at places like the malls, where you've got large big box retailers like the JCPenney's and the Sears, et cetera, that have 18,000, whatever, 20,000 square foot of space uh, that's empty. If that were transformed into a vertical farm, you'd get like the Walmart farming of the future, right? You get these sort of mass farms in malls and then the whole, yeah, yeah, it, it, everything changes. I, and so I think it seems like there's hope, right? Uh, yeah, it seems like there's opportunities right here, right now with existing infrastructure and real estate to feed the world. So uh, yeah, I actually really, that's a pretty cool vision of, of like, uh, of the mall thing. I like that a lot. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. You, like can, you, you can, you now, can, have you can, you can, get, yeah, thanks. Especially given the current, you know, like, uh, pandemic, pandemic conditions and also the, just the conditions of brick and mortars in general, like, what are we going to do with all that space? You know, it probably really depends on where you are because like in a place like Boston, everybody, every, every little space that we can, most people are thinking of putting, um, a living space there as opposed to a, a feeding space, if you will, uh, you know, uh, like a food growing space. But uh, yeah, I mean, man, it's, it would be, it, there's so many possibilities given the fact that like now we're transitioning out of your conventional brick and mortar kind of, uh, uh, of society uh, and more to this e-commerce type platform or now how do we get the food to people and you know, where's the need there? But I think it's going to, it's going to take a transformation of both concept in terms of what do we do? Where's the value in the real estate, you know, um, is the, is the most value that I can get out of this one plot of land? Uh, is it going to be in putting a condo there or a home, or is it going to be, we're going to think a little bit larger and think about, you know, uh, is the value more in the product productivity of a community? If I can, if I can feed it better, you know, and, and coming back to kind of both like the, the basement issues of like, of nutritional development uh, in children, uh, food justice or food desert kind of stuff. And then like extending that out and seeing like, or also health, because we talked about a little bit of like obesity, I mentioned that and high cholesterol and extending that out in terms of like, where, do, how do we measure that in terms of productivity? You know, um, I think in my first econ class uh, ever, the, like I had a story about Korea and uh, uh, how South Korea went from like, um, you know, it's previous, like, uh, you know, relatively non-productive uh, state uh, compared to where it is now, where it's like this, you know, a burgeoning uh, 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 powerhouse. Um, and um, they were talking about it being, uh, there being a really big part of like where they changed the food, um, you know, how they were growing the food, how they're getting food to to everybody in the country. And once everybody was eating better, uh, they noticed this, this market improvement in productivity. So, I mean, if you're thinking about food as uh, on, uh, in slightly different economic terms in terms of like, you know, how do I get uh, this community to produce more and thus make more money? Um, 
and have more value, you know, and then we look at spaces like is JCPenney really creating, how much value is there in JCPenney now, you know? Well, I mean, hold I, on I, a second. I, yeah, hold on a second. I, I, yeah, I, I know. I know. A nice I, pair of sweats. Very nice JCPenney sweats. Very, very economical. Uh, you know, pennies, pennies was, was a place, you know, my moms and I went to when we were, when I was little too. Uh, but like the, the, you know, the the e-commerce uh, has you know and warehouse uh, culture and, and uh, delivery culture is kind of killing the brick and mortar. So maybe maybe you're onto something with with that, and we can give more value out to the community uh, uh, by transforming the spaces in a couple different ways. Well, you know, technology finds its way into every industry, and just like. 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, farmers started to use technology, automatic tractor movement, uh, the use of where to put the fertilizer. And if you look in, in cities like New York, or even here where I am in Miami Beach now, I'll walk about three, four blocks, there's a small communal farm where a bunch of different residents have their own little plot of land and they're growing their fresh tomatoes. In New York City, there's a lot of little communal farms between buildings. Uh, it's not, not only is it, a, uh, is it healthy, but it's a place to, uh, to a way to bring people together, neighbors together. And I think to myself- Farming co-ops. I'm sorry, co-ops, yeah, co-ops, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, thank you, Alex. So I can just imagine if you dropped, say, a container, a self-contained container, you would, you would eliminate weather issues. You could grow year round. Uh, it'd be probably more efficient. You'd probably get a higher output. Uh, and it would probably be healthier. Uh, you know, as again mentioned, again, I get some of the things like microgreens are, are a tenth the size and six times the nutritional value. Yeah. Uh, and I guess technology is slowly going to creep in. And if part of the technological advantage is, is to be able to find ways to use existing plots of land or real estate to enhance uh, the farming experience, the eating experience, the nutritional experience, right. it's almost inevitable. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you got a good point actually, because the 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 you do bring up the containers quite often, and I I love that idea. And at the same time, you've got places like Detroit, which has a lot of land, but also at the same time, they have a lot of buildings too, right? Which could be converted. So there's a to your point, there's an interesting choice to make between hey, look, am I going to drop a couple containers full of you know farm ready containers or am i going to convert buildings that are already there uh and and that's a really interesting decision to make yeah there, there's a lot of different ways to go with that uh so i mean to your point um yeah we have a lot of community gardens here in boston as well and if, if the the if the climate changes enough so that those things don't become as functional i think that you know creating uh an indoor community garden or a, a garden that's a controlled environmental space could be good. But I think the value of community gardens isn't necessarily just the food that they grow, because I mean, they're pretty inefficient. I mean, what are you gonna get like, you know, a few a few root vegetables and 20 tomatoes uh, for the normal person, maybe some flowers. But I think that's a lot more uh, mental health and, and community building, you know, like you see your neighbors out there. Uh, it's really a place for people to, to, to uh, kind of, you know, meet each other on the land type thing, you know, and, and especially in a city like Boston or New York, I mean, you don't get a lot of that. I know that I look at a rooftop, a garden, or I see somebody with a fancy apartment and a little bit of terrace and they have a really nice garden. And that's like massively desirable. You know, every movie with where in, in New York, where the guy's like, uh, or, or the lady is, is doing incredibly well, you know, they you see their, their apartment, if they've got a little roof, they've got some flowers, they've got, that's really, you know, something of that, that's like, 
luxury, premium. And so you give people that that sense, you know, and the ability to talk to each other when you have a little community space. But in terms of like how much food you're going to get, I'm sure it's going to be nominal. But like you could do all kinds of cool things by either stacking containers. Uh, you can configure those containers all kinds of cool ways too. They, they can be geometric. You get a, uh, some really cool shapes going and, and put stairs in between them and link them, uh, put a little glass in there. And I'm sure someone with a better imagination and, and functional arch architectural knowledge than I have can, can create a space that you grow food, talk to each other and everything under the sun. You know, you mentioned the the rooftop gardens. As a matter of fact, I remember that there was a proposal at one point in time. I'm not sure what happened to it, but it was an idea that if you took all of the the rooftops in Manhattan and made it a garden, it would it would be larger than Central Park or three times larger than Central Park. Or whatever. And I think I think at the time, you know, I think it was a cool idea. Um, I don't, I don't think people were thinking it of it as much of a, as food sources, as much as it was for the environment, right? So we'll just get more right. green space and that will be beneficial for carbon emissions and all that good stuff. Yeah. So a great insulator. Right. So when you think about farms, I, you know, I just, I forgot to mention the fact you think about the environment, right? So you just got more green space. Uh, when you put a farm in the basement, <laughs> I mean, you get food, but you don't get the environmental benefit, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> But maybe you maybe you offset that because less trucks are are, are uh, carrying lettuce. I don't know what is there any environmental. Yeah, I mean, yeah the environmental stuff is it can be huge. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have a truck carrying spinach from from California to, to Boston, uh, that's a lot less uh, stuff. Also, you know, if you've got a if if the food goes to waste at some point, um, you got to throw stuff away. It means you got to grow it again. You know, uh, so there's waste there. Um, to your point, Jamie, about uh, nutrition, actually, with respect to red cabbage, there is 260 times, not percent, 260 times more uh, beta carotin, carotene in, in micro, micro red cabbage as opposed to big stuff. And on par, it's usually about, there's usually about between like, you know, uh, 10 and 30% more nutritional value uh, uh, pound to pound with micros. And micros are great. Uh, uh, but, you know, uh, there's so many different ways to maximize the efficiency. But what you were saying about community, yeah, you can do, think of all the botanical gardens you've been to. That would be the way to do it in a city because people don't want to go to a container, just a container. But you can make it look beautiful. And having the ability to look out and see green space is almost as healthy, you know, as, for you as, as eating the stuff that comes off of it. I mean, you, you need, as a human being, you know, you kind of need that. Um, when I think of hydroponic growing, <clears throat> what comes to mind is like the movie The Gentleman with Matt uh, McConaughey, where you walk out to a, to, a, <clears throat> to a field and there's a shed, you go into the shed down the stairs, and he's growing four miles of marijuana, right? Um, with, uh, with the Democrats currently in power, there's a lot of talk that marijuana will become federally illegal. Uh, where does that crop fit in? Obviously a very productive, very uh, very uh, high margin crop. Where does that sure. fit into this whole idea of vertical farming? So, you know, I mean, I'm not an expert on cannabis growing, although some of my partners are, and many of the people in this, in this space are. Uh, I think that cannabis farming can be done in a lot of different ways though, not just hydroponically. And I'm not sure actually whether or not hydroponics is actually the favorite medium right now, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. 
Uh, I'm familiar with several grows, you know, in Massachusetts, it's legal. Um, and uh, I, I don't know that any of the grows that I'm really familiar with are, are putting a huge emphasis on hydroponics. So that was just a, 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 that was a necessity to hide the growing that's not necessary anymore, in other words. That, I, mean, that's, I think that's, I think that's yeah. actu accurate, right? Um, maybe, maybe not. I mean, I, I, I'm actually not too sure. I think you can control a lot of things with hydroponics. Uh, that you may not, it's, it's like a preference, uh, you know, we actually don't grow hydroponically in, in my farm. Uh, we grow vertically, but we do, uh, we use trays with, with uh, soil. We used to use a soilless medium uh, before, and there are things you can do where it's called an ebb and flow table. So like, basically, if you, uh, nice. a, a shallow plastic basin, if you imagine a really big shallow plastic basin, and I will put soil in it, uh, in trays, have the plants in the trays, and then you can fill it with water. Uh, you have a little technology so it knows how far to go. Uh, once the water reaches a certain point, um, the technology will tell it like, okay, this is too much, let's drain. And then it'll drain and then you can do that in tiers so that gravity just kind of brings that water down uh, uh, through each tray. Um, and you know that's a way to use water in tech keep it indoors, but it's not necessarily hydroponic. So, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways to do it and there are different reasons to do it. Um, so, uh, so yeah, there's, a yeah, difference, a, there's a difference between getting high and going high. In other words, Hey, there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, exactly. So, you know, where cannabis, cannabis, cannabis has actually been a major driving factor though. Uh, it's like in similar spaces where you have disruptive technologies and one reason to do it, DARPA is always the, the, the thing people think of with regards to major breakthroughs uh, in science that don't have necessarily uh, the intended uh, uh, effect or, or the, the, the use, you know, switches directions. But yeah, I mean, everybody wants to get high, it seems throughout, you know, since the beginning of time. Or, or healed. Uh, or right, or healed, but probably... If you talk to shaman, there's a little overlap there, right? Uh, but um, you know, if you will, like people, you put six guys that have no no science background around uh, whatsoever in a room, and you tell them, and they, you know, somebody's going to want to get high at some point, right? And then somebody figures out some crazy way to do it, um, or, or just uh, want a sandwich and need some flatleaf lettuce. There you go. So you know. It, <laughs> okay. Right. Um, so in this sense, you know, cannabis has been a driving factor. I mean, I think the light, the industry uh, with regard to LED lighting for growing, it, you know, aquaponics, hydroponics, uh, indoor farming, that's not doing it, man. Uh, cannabis is what has, has what has been, I think, a driving force in that uh, in, in the tech development there. So. So, Aaron, this has been extraordinarily entertaining and insightful. I want to thank you for your time uh, and energy uh, today in talking about vertical farming. Uh, and I think we've all now have a vision of the future that includes food grown vertically and <laughs> basically you're part of saving humanity. So, so we want to thank you for your, <laughs> for your service. Um, so, so thank you very much, Aaron. Yeah, man, it's my pleasure. And uh, thank you for the kind words. I'm going to put that on a shirt and I know that my mom will wear it. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, we're all, uh, we all got to do our part clearly. You know, I mean, there's only so many choices we're going to have. But uh, yeah, staying well fed is one of them. And, I, and I'll be trying to do that. And if you guys ever need some microgreens, just hit me up uh, either on uh, 
of the website. We're going to be doing another project called uh, uh, Sated, S-A-T-E-D, Sated, and it'll be SatedCity.com. Wait, what? Be, yeah. And we're, <laughs> what we're doing is we're getting that good food. Actually, it's about getting good food from local producers and artisanal quality, high quality food and getting it out to people. So you'll have more choices than just microgreens. Uh, and uh, there won't be any weed on it just yet, but yeah, keep you informed. Terrific, Aaron. Thank you very much. <laughs> Excellent, guys. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.